0: Be back with y'all. Uh, two Sundays ago I really enjoyed spending time with y'all and so I'm thankful that I get to come back and share God's word with you this morning. So we'll be in Revelation chapter 5 this morning. I want to read a portion of that just to kind of introduce the sermon's idea. And so would you mind standing for the reading of God's word and let's read this together. Revelation chapter 5 verses 11 and 12. It says then I looked and I heard. Everybody say John looked and John heard. John and John heard. Yeah, this isn't a fairy tale John sharing with us. He saw something and he heard something and he's going to tell us what he saw and heard. Then I looked and I heard around the throne room of the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, number myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb. Everybody say, Worthy is, the Lamb. Worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. All right, you may be seated. So let me ask you to begin this sermon by thinking. Okay, I want you to think of a time maybe that you saw something that you were familiar with. And you saw it in an entirely new light. Maybe you were familiar with an object. Maybe you were familiar with a person. And suddenly you saw it in an, entire new, in an entirely new light. You said, oh my, that's not what I thought it was. That's something better. That's something greater. That happened to me this morning. Betty. <laughs> I was like, she, she's an ordinary person. She's just an ordinary person. But suddenly she comes up here and she takes this This thing. I look at that and it would make bad music. She picks it up and makes beautiful music. It's like, I was, you know, your view, my view of you was transformed. Have you ever had something, maybe it was an object, you ever see an antique road show? You go up into your attic and you pull some junk out, you know, oh, I found these glasses. These were Abraham Lincoln's glasses. They're worth a million dollars. What? Suddenly the, my view of the glasses is amplified exponentially. They're not the same glasses they were before. Well, let me tell you guys about my relationship with outer space. It's always been kind of a neat relationship. It's like, oh, outer space. Great. You know, I've I've always admired outer space. It's great. It shows the power of God. Outer space. Great. My relationship with outer space changed when I saw it in a new light. The Hubble Space Telescope launched in 1990, I think. Has anybody seen the images of the Hubble Space Telescope? You know, I, people, people say, look up into the sky. That dot there, that's Saturn. Looks like the rest of the stars to me. That's a white dot. Uh, can, you, can you see Orion's belt? No, I can see a bunch of stars. Can you pick out the Big Dipper? I, no, I, I don't see it. I see a bunch of stars. That's my relationship with outer space before Hubble. But then Hubble comes along and it completely transforms my view of outer space. Suddenly I see the creativity, the power of God, the the immense uh, unmatched glory of god psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of god now certainly the naked eye could look up and see the glory of god but when you see hubble space telescope it's the glory of god it becomes alive to you james do we have some of those images up that we could show these are called the pillars of creation The pillars of creation, they name it that because apparently, and I don't know anything about outer space, but behind these nebulous clouds, there's a star-generating factory that just generates star after star after star, and they call it the pillars of creation. Do we have some other images? Okay. We just look at this and we say, wow. I heard somebody say, wow, does that not display the glory of God? Does that transform your view of space? When you looked up into space, were you like me? Stars. Great. White dots in the sky. Great. Nothing wrong. It's just my, my relationship with space just isn't wow. You know, this, wow. My relationship with space changes. Do we have some other images? Again, this one's titled, wow. <laughs> I don't know what to call this. Wow. Just just shuffle through any of that. Yeah, oh, my goodness. Look, look at this view of space that Hubble gives us. It transforms our view of space. All right, thank you so much, James. What I want to share with you this morning, I want to bring this over to our message. Because something had to happen to transform my view of space. Hubble had to happen. And just like that, something has to transform our view of the living God. If it's to inspire worship in us. Something has to change. Something has to take an ordinary view of God and inspire worship. Something has to change. And I think Revelation chapter 5 is going to just change our view of God. It's going to take an ordinary small God that we may have had before and it's going to transform him into a God of wow, a God of amazing, a God of worship. And so that's my proposition for you this morning. This is what I hope to prove. A proper view of God inspires worship. A proper view of God inspires worship. And I think Revelation chapter 5 is going to give us that proper view of God. You might be saying, well, if a proper view of God inspires worship, then what is a proper view of God? Or how do I get a proper view of God? Well, that's what our message is going to answer for us today. We're going to have three different ways in Revelation chapter 5 that our view of God is going to be changed. Our view of God is going to be changed. And the first way that our view of God is going to be changed is that a proper view of God starts with the Lamb. A proper view of God starts with the Lamb. I want to read from Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 13. It says, And every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne, And to the Lamb. Everybody say, And to the Lamb. Don't miss it. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and ever. Jesus is our starting point for true worship for God. If you want to transform your view of God to inspire worship, you start with the Lamb. Jesus showed us God. Jesus reveals God to us in the most complete way. Before Jesus, we didn't have a complete view of God. But in Jesus Christ, we do a proper view of God starts with the lamb. You might be saying, maybe you don't know your audience too well. We're Christians. We've been followers of Christ for a long time. I know, but we hold the minority view here, team. It used to be the majority view, but we hold the minority view here of Jesus Christ. You know, every Easter, the same thing happens The magazine shelves are stocked with U.S. News and World Report and Time Magazine and all the other news magazines. And do you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to figure out the historical Jesus. They're saying, who was this Jesus? Why is he so popular? Why are billions following him to this day? And they try to figure out the historical Jesus. You know what they jettison first and foremost? The Bible. They say, well, we can't rely on that because that says that Jesus walked on water, and he multiplied loaves and fishes, and he healed people, and he cast out demons. We can't have that Jesus. What's the historical Jesus? And so what they try to do is demythologize the New Testament. And they say, we can accept his teachings. He was a good teacher. He was a great person. We can accept some of those things. But we can't accept the deity of Jesus Christ. We can't expect the fact that he made himself equal to God and accepted worship like God accepts worship. We can't have that Christ. You see, we hold the minority view now. You know what separates us from every single cult that's out there? When I say cult, I'm thinking Christian cults. Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons. Those are Christian cults. They, they try to put themselves under the umbrella of Christianity. But you know what separates us from them? Our view of Jesus Christ. They say Jesus was a God or they say that Jesus was created. They don't say he is The God. And we say Jesus is the God man. Jesus is the God man. We hold the minority view. That's why I want to belabor this point just a little bit and talk to you about Jesus Christ is God. The New Testament church, the early, early church, it took them a long time to work this out. It's not that they never thought that Jesus was less than God, but they had to reconcile in their mind things that were really hard to reconcile. It's like the struggle with the Trinity of the early church. Same. We struggled with the doctrine of Christ. The early church did. And they said, okay, how is it that he is 100% God? And how is it that he is 100% man without commingling? How is it that he is one person yet 100% God, 100% man? And they had to struggle with these things. The early church really did. And then Athanasius ratified what we call our orthodoxy in the Athanasius Creed. I wonder if you'll let me read just a little bit of that creed to you about his Christology. He talks about the Trinity. He talks about the church. He talks about other things. But he also talks about... Christology. And so, can I read just some of that creed for you? It says, Now, this is the true faith that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both God and human equally. He is God from the essence of the Father, begotten before time, and he is human from the essence of his mother, born in time. Completely God, completely human, with a rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father as regards divinity. Less than the Father, as regards humanity, although He is God and human, yet Christ is not two but one. He is, however, not by his divinely being turned into not by his divinity being turned into flesh, but by God taking humanity to himself. He is one, certainly not by the blending of his essence, but by the unity of his person. For just as one human is both rational soul and flesh, so too the one Christ is both God and human. That is the orthodox view of Christ. And we share that as a Christian church with all other Christian churches. And that's what divides us from all the Christian cults, is our view of Christ. I press that for this reason. Let me remind you, this is the minority view these days. We know what to do with Jesus. We know this. I know you know I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, but there are people out there who take up the newsstand magazine and say, yes, who is the historical Christ? Great guy, great teacher, has a great following. He's kind of like Buddha. Buddha was a great guy, but he wasn't God. And I can follow the teachings of Buddha, and I can follow the teachings of Christ, and I can follow some of the teachings of Muhammad, the ones that I like, and I can follow the teachings of Confucius, the ones that I like. Jesus isn't that way. He demands our complete worship. He demands our complete loyalty. He is God. Yes. We have to reconcile that. Our neighbor, we know what to do. I'm hearing amens. Praise the Lord. We know what to do with Jesus. Our neighbors don't. Our neighbors aren't going to heaven if Jesus is a man to them. Jesus has to be God, the only God to them. And so a proper view of God starts with the Lamb. And secondly, a proper view of God recognizes his worth. A proper view of God recognizes his worth. And here's where we're going to pick up in Revelation 5, verse 1. And we'll just kind of work through the passage now from here. I just wanted to emphasize for us the Lamb. And so let's start with a proper view of God recognizes his worth in chapter, Revelation chapter 5, verses 1-5. through 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll... Written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scrolls and break its seals? Everybody say, who is is worthy? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. We know how Revelation kind of unfolds a little bit anyway. Uh, So chapters 1 through 3 are really the introduction to Revelation. And then chapters 2 and 3 are the letters to the seven churches. And then in chapter 4, there's a door open in heaven. And John is called up. And it says he's in the spirit. And so in the spirit, he's taken up into heaven. And he gets to witness the throne room of God. And in the throne room of God, he sees the four living creatures with the eyes all about, you know, the Ezekiel-type vision that he has. He gets to see the four living creatures with the eyes all about continually worshiping God. And he gets to see the 24 elders bowing down and saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Worthy are you to receive honor and glory and power, for you have created all things. And by your will, all things exist. And so John's taken up into heaven and he's given this vision of God that completely transforms. You know the situation of Revelation. John was being persecuted for his faith. It wasn't popular to be Christian at the time. It wasn't popular to be a follower of Christ. They were being persecuted. John says in the beginning of Revelation that he was on the island of Patmos for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so John, because he wouldn't shut up about this great God that we serve, Jesus Christ, they exiled him to Patmos. He just wouldn't keep his mouth shut about Jesus. Is that our hard attitude? I don't care what the world thinks. You want to try to find the historical Jesus, let me show you the Jesus God man. And so John gets persecuted. And so my point, though, is the church at the time was under the persecution of Rome for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so that's what the revelation is all about. The revelation is Jesus Christ saying to John, take your idea of reality, persecution. For the testimony of Christ. That's your idea of reality. That's all you can see. That's all you can feel. Now let me show you what's really happening behind the curtain. You know there's a thin veil that separates us from the spiritual. And Revelation is just an opening of that veil. And John's taken up into the throne room. And they're worshiping God. But then the corner is turned in chapter 5. Which brings me back to my first point. A proper view of God starts with the Lamb. The proper view of God recognizes his worth. This is what's happening. The revelation is stalled. Did you hear it? In the right hand of him who sits on the throne. So John's still in the throne room. He still sees God on his throne, but in his right hand, there's a scroll. And it's written on the front and on the back, and it's sealed with seven seals. And nobody's found worthy to open it. That's what the angel says. Who is worthy to open the scroll? Nobody's found worthy. And so John just starts weeping. Why? Because what does that represent? It represents the unfolding of God's plan of redemption. Otherwise, we're stalled in a persecuted church under Roman Empire. We're stalled there. That's what John is thinking. We're stalled. I need to see the unfolding. I need these seals opened. I need to see what's going to happen. Because this ain't too great. But we're stalled because no one is found worthy who can open it. And then an elder comes up and taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, John, it's okay. Weep no more. Because there is one who is worthy. A proper view of God recognizes his worth. There is one who is worthy. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Genesis chapter 49. He's the root of David, 2 Samuel 7. The one, Jesus Christ. He's the one that's worthy. A proper view of God recognizes the worth of Jesus Christ. You know, worth is a funny thing. It's something that we ascribe. You know, if you show me a, a, a uh, oh, I forget the name of the baseball player. Now, I, I've got it in my notes. But, but you show me a rookie card from a famous baseball, baseball player, and you say, that's worth $170,000. I'll look at it and say, not to me, it's not. <laughs> you show me an original Da Vinci or an original Rembrandt and say, for just $50 million, this could be yours. No, I appreciate it, but no Thanks. But there are things that I ascribe worth and value to. I can do that. You can do that. We do it. If I said, oh, these are my family photos. This is when you would look at them and go, I wouldn't give you a penny for those. <laughs> but me, I was, these are priceless. I love these. I love looking at these and remembering my family and the times that we had. They're priceless to me. To you, nothing. Worth is something that we ascribe. We ascribe Worth. Listen to who's ascribing worth to the Lamb. It, it, it says that, he, that, that heaven and earth and under the earth, everywhere in the known universe, they're searching. Who's worthy? Who's worthy? Everywhere in the known universe, who's worthy? Who's worthy? Can't find one. And then the elder taps John on the shoulder and says, don't worry, our champion Jesus, he's coming through. He's the worthy one. All of heaven and all of earth one day is going to ascribe worth To Jesus Christ. A proper view of God recognizes his worth. We've got to recognize the worth of Jesus Christ. I love the parable of the pearl of great price. I love the parable of the the treasure in the field, the hidden treasure in the field. Remember those parables? What's the point of those parables? Sell everything and get the pearl. It's a pearl of great price. It's worth everything. Sell everything to get it. There's a hidden treasure in that field. Sell everything and buy that field. Is there anything in your life that you ascribe more worth, more value to than Jesus Christ? Sell it. Sell it and buy Christ. Is there anything that's more valuable to you than Christ? Sell it. Get rid of it. Is there a sin that you're holding on to that's more important to you than Christ? Sell it. Get rid of it. Ascribe Christ that worth. All of heaven and all of earth are ascribing Christ this worth. One day we're going to be forced to ascribe Christ this worth. We can do it voluntarily now. In our minds, we can ascribe him the worth that is due him. A proper view of God that's going to inspire worship. You've got to recognize the worth of God. And then secondly, you've got to recognize the work so you've got to recognize the worth and the work. And so let me start in Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter, or Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. Sorry about that. And between the throne and the four living creatures... And among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the foreign living creatures... And the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song: "Worthy are you to take the scroll." Everybody say, "Worthy are you, Lord Jesus?" Worthy are you you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you have ransomed for for God a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests. To our God, and they shall reign forever and ever. So the verses that we had just read, the elder comes up, not these verses, but verses one through five. And in verse five, the elder had come up and said, Don't worry, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, He is worthy. Why? Because he has conquered. That is what makes him worthy to open the scrolls. That's what the elders tell John in this past verse. And now we're introduced to that one who is worthy, that one who has conquered That one is the Lamb. We know the Lamb is Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ enters the scene. You know, you can feel the kind of the dramatic tension coming. Uh, Who's worthy? Nobody's worthy. And John's weeping. The elder says, hey, don't worry. One is found. Who's worthy? And then enters Jesus Christ. I mean, we've got to feel this. We've got to feel Jesus coming in with power and with glory and with might and standing up and going to the right hand of him who sits on the throne and taking that scroll. Only one in all of heaven and earth can do that. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then they start praising him because he's worthy to take the scroll. And what are they praising him for? It says a lamb as though slain. What do we recognize in the work of Jesus Christ? What about the work of Jesus Christ changes our view of him? As though slain. As though slain. Jesus Christ was slain. He was was crucified on a cross. He was nailed to a cross and a spear went into his side. And blood and water comes out. And that's the Jesus that we see, a lamb as though slain. That's the work that makes Jesus worthy to take the scroll from the hand of him who sits on the throne. And to break its seals. Additionally, it says, by your blood you have redeemed a people for God. And you have made them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The work of Jesus Christ transforms our view of him. I mean, listen, what other religion regularly has a ritual to celebrate the death of their leader? I mean, we call this the Lord's Supper. We do this regularly, don't we? Regularly, we say, The body was broken. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. In remembrance of what? My death on the cross. Take and drink. This is the blood of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. The blood of Jesus Christ was spilled. His body was broken. He stands as a lamb, as though slain. The work of Jesus Christ is that he redeemed the people for God. And how did he do that? By the cross. He did that on the cross. You know, the sinless one is the only one who can die and defeat sin and death. And so Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf. And he went to the cross and died the death that we deserve. You know, Romans chapter 6 tells us that we die with Christ. We die with Christ. In your mind, reconcile that. I am dead to my body of flesh, to sin. I'm dead to it. Death has no more victory over me because it has no more victory over Jesus Christ. The resurrected one, that's the one we celebrate. The work of Jesus Christ is his death, burial, and resurrection. He's ascended to the right hand of God. He sits in the place of power in the universe. That's the one we worship. Is your view of God transformed? Worthy is the lamb. What is he worthy? Because of the work that he's done. Because of the work that he's done, he died on the cross for you and I. So a proper view of God starts with the lamb. It recognizes his worth and his work. And then all this leads us to our proposition. A proper view of God inspires worship. A proper view of God inspires worship. I'm going to read 11 through 14 now. Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. All those things that were ascribed to God in chapter 4 are now ascribed to the Lamb. Verse 13, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that was in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. I want you to notice how comprehensive the worship is. Every creature in heaven and on earth and in the sea and under the sea. Every creature on heaven and earth is one day going to bow down before the God of the universe and the Lamb and worship. You and I have an opportunity to do that freely right now. Our view of God can be transformed right now. In the same way Hubble takes dots in the sky. Great. The heavens declare the the glory of God. I agree. Dots in the sky. Hubble changes that. Hubble makes it, wow, what a God. I've got to worship this God. Look at his creativity. Look at his power. Look at his glory. I've got to worship this God. Revelation chapter 5 changes our view of God. It inspires us to worship. Notice also the volume of worship. John uses these words, myriads and myriads. That's actually a transliteration from the Greek. Myriads is the highest number that the Romans had to count with. It represented 10,000-ish. And so John is saying the highest number, myriads, times the highest number, myriads. And thousands and thousands more, thousands times thousands more. John is saying exponential number, a number I can't even count, a number that is too big for us to even fathom. The biggest number times the biggest number. We've got the quality of worship. We've got the quantity of worship. Everybody's worshiping. One day that's going to be us. John has given a picture of the future. He's sitting in persecuted Patmos. The church around him that he's writing letters to are in persecution. It doesn't look good for the home team. And then our champion comes in, Jesus Christ. And he takes the scroll and he says, I'll open these seals. I'll move the plan of redemption along. This is the conclusion of the matter. Worship God and worship the Lamb. Did this view of God transform you? Did it inspire you to worship God? Do you see the supreme and only God of the universe sitting on his throne? Do you see the four living creatures and the 24 elders continually worshiping before the throne? Do you feel John's pain over the wait for God's final judgment, for his final redemption? Do you weep with John because of sin? Because of your sin and the sin of others, do you weep with John as you look at the news and see the sin of this world? Weep with John, but then rejoice with John, because the Lamb is coming. The Lamb is coming. Sin will be no more. Death will be no more. That's a promise. Can you see in here the myriads, times myriads, singing praises to God? Are you delighted with joy over the Lamb who was slain, but who conquered, and is now the Supreme One, worshipped by all? Are you ready to sell everything to gain Christ? Do you have a proper view of God? Hey, just like Hubble had to transform my view of the heavens. You know, space. Great. Fantastic. Dots in the sky. Great. Hubble. Wow. Revelation chapter five. Wow. I want to worship that God. Would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do love you and we do praise you and we do ask a special blessing on you, Lord God. We cannot be wowed without your help. We need your word. We need your spirit. We need to look into your word and by your spirit, we need to be wowed so that we worship you above all else. Lord, everything calls us to worship. There are so many things in the lives of each person sitting here and in my life that call me to worship, that say that's more important than the Christ. We need your word and we need your spirit to call us to true worship. Your word says that they who worship you must worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, we can't do that without the spirit. And we can't do that without the truth of your word. And so would you call us to worship, Lord? Would you inspire in us? Would you give us a proper view of you to inspire worship? Lord, we thank you for this and much more in Jesus' name. Amen.